the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. For me, the marketing became the fun part. The law got kind of old, but the marketing was where the excitement was. New ideas, new techniques, new things I could try. And watching the phone ring as a result of trying them, there's nothing better. The work, eventually I hired people to do the work and so that I didn't have to. And I could spend my time marketing or doing things that ultimately led to the next stage of my, my career. Run your law firm. The right, way. the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Hey, Jimmy, we got a pretty darn awesome guest this week. Tyson, the hits keep on rolling. We've had some great guests. We had Bob Berg on a little while ago. Our guest today is David Ward. He's the owner and president of the David Ward Group and the Attorney Marketing Center. He is a retired attorney, but he speaks our language. And I've been on his email list for about a month. And I was introduced by our good friend, Mitch Jackson, who we've had on the show. And at least two or three times a week, David's emails sort of strike me with their simple messages, their actionable takeaways. And I thought we'd be really lucky to get him on the show. And he was gracious enough to be here. So thank you, David. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. David, why don't you tell just the listeners a little bit more about what you do and really the focus points of your firm, of your company? Well, it is, I call it the Attorney Marketing Center. And it, the, we have to back up a little bit to when I was practicing, because that kind of informs what I do today. When I started practicing, this was a little while ago, before the internet, and before we had all the wonderful options we have today. And I struggled because I opened my own office. I didn't have any, any clients other than some charity cases, so to speak, from some other lawyers who gave me uh, some of their junkie files. I didn't have any contacts. I didn't have any particular skills. I was still learning the ropes about how to practice law and um, didn't know anything about marketing or how to bring in business. And it was a struggle. I remember I told this story about my torts professor in law school warning all of us not to get complacent. It's going to be five long, hard years before you start making any money. And some of us kind of rolled our eyes and thought that that can't be. That's impossible. But he was absolutely right. And, and it took several years of uh, eating peanut butter sandwiches and uh, 
you know, wondering how I was going to make it before I finally figured out a few things and I was able to turn things around. And I'll tell you what, what did it for me. Uh, first of all, I had my day of disgust. I had an office. I had the license. I had the desire. And I was certainly willing to work hard to accomplish it, but it wasn't happening. And I finally figured out a few things that I needed to do. And when I did them, things turned around for me. First of all, instead of trying to do everything, you know, I practiced threshold law. Whatever showed up at the door, I took. I don't know if that's an old joke, but uh, I tell it. And uh, I, I decided no more. I was going to specialize. I was going to do one thing and do it well. Because I figured out that it would save me a lot of time. I didn't have to do continuing education on uh, every practice area available. And I figured out that specialists make more. Clients prefer lawyers who specialize, and they're willing to pay them more. So that was the first thing that I did. And it was frightening, getting rid of clients, turning business away. It created a, a, a vacuum in what was already an almost empty coffer. But sure enough, the, uh, in the act of doing that, the work started coming. The work that I was specializing in started to come. And it doesn't matter what it was. I chose personal injury at the time, but I started getting business and a lot of business. And I thought, okay, I can't necessarily explain the science or the mechanics of it. I just know that I started making money. The second thing I did was getting better at doing something. A lot of solos and you know guys who come from a small firm background, a lot of trouble doing, and that's delegating. It's fear. It's, you know, nobody's going to do it better than I. But until, unless and until you get comfortable with that, you're not, never going to make as much money as you possibly can. And you're never going to have any kind of free time because you're doing it all yourself. I think that's less of a problem today because we have resources via the internet and outsourcing and freelancers and so forth. But it was a big problem back then, and I had to let go of a lot of my fears and uh, start delegating more. And that freed up a lot of my time to do what ultimately turned things around for me, and that was marketing. There weren't any courses. There weren't any books. There was a couple of ABA books for, on marketing for lawyers or probably law firm management more than marketing. There's no CLE for marketing, at least in California, there wasn't and there still isn't. You can't get any credit unless it's uh, labeled something else. But it allowed me to focus on marketing, and that's what made the difference for me. I started bringing in a lot of business, and things accelerated. Things started happening much more quickly, and it wasn't long before I was earning uh, quadruple the income. That I, I mean, I, I finally got to a point where I was paying my bills. Once I started marketing, seriously, I was able to quadruple my income and at the same time reduce my work week from six days, five, six days to three. And that was very liberating. It boiled down to treating my law practice, which is a profession, like a business, which it also is. And if you've read any of my stuff, you'll hear me say, if you don't treat it like a business, you won't have a profession to practice. So you have to do both. And I mentioned earlier that there wasn't anything available. How did I figure it out? I figured it out by looking at what other professionals were doing, salespeople, insurance salespeople, real estate salespeople, and business owners, service businesses. How were they marketing? And what could I learn from them and adapt and, and start to use? So it was a process of putting things together, 
figuring things out, experimenting with a lot of things that didn't work, and then finally focusing in on getting really good at referrals. And um, that allowed me to build a very successful practice. And 20 years later, I was able to retire from that practice because I put my cumulative knowledge and experiences into a course that on, on referral marketing, but also on other aspects of marketing. Started selling that course to other attorneys, and that's what allowed me to officially retire from practicing. I'm still licensed. I'm still dangerous, but I haven't taken a client in quite some time. For the last 20 years, with some overlap, I have been uh, consulting with attorneys on marketing, writing about marketing at my blog for anybody that's interested, attorneymarketing.com. And that's what kind of brings us forward to today. In the meantime, I, well, I started a couple of businesses, and I don't think we'll have time to talk about that, but um, they taught me a lot that I was able to use in what I do today. So that's my story. I, don't, I think I over-answered your question, but I think it's important to know where somebody got started and where they came from because it creates a better understanding of where they are today. And uh, today, I get to do a lot of a lot of writing, which is something that I always wanted to do but never had time to do when I was practicing or even when I was in the other businesses that I started. So did I answer your question? Yeah, David, that yeah, was fantastic. Absolutely. I'm sure Tyson is smiling from ear to ear because you are one of many guests we've had on the show that followed the advice that Tyson and I often give, which is to pick one practice area and to focus on it and to get really good at it, to also take lessons from other industries. So that's that's great. I'd love to hear, since we do have someone with such experience, I'd love to hear about marketing for lawyers pre-internet. If you could spend a little bit of time talking about that, what was working for you back then, maybe what wasn't working, or what were your big hits? Well, it's kind of the same thing that works today, only today you've got toys. It's focusing on the basics, which means talking to people, working with people. And everything that I did and still do today has a theme running through it of leverage. You know, the general definition is getting of leverage is getting more with less. How else could I possibly have made more money working fewer hours? It was leverage. And that has different aspects to it, leveraging other people, their time, their talents, their, their contacts, especially. And that's kind of tied in with the referrals. Leverage also means leveraging your own efforts when you create content or, or work product, forms, checklists, anything in the office, you reuse it and you repurpose it. It might be marketing documents, presentations, videos that you record, and you get more for less by reusing that material over and over again. And there's a lot that you can, there's a lot you can do with it. Let's put it that way. Another form of leverage is advertising. Some lawyers can't or don't want to advertise, and that's okay, but I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you an early tip on advertising, and that is you may not want to or be able to advertise your services, but you might be able to, and if you can, you, you should consider advertising something else. What could that be? Something you wrote, an ebook, a you know, paperback book, a planning guide, some kind of a kit. Go ahead and advertise that and let that be do the selling for you through the wisdom that you put into it and of course with any supplemental materials you include and that's another form that's another form of uh, of leverage 
What else was it like then? It was hard. But we didn't know it was hard because we didn't know any better. My father is and was an attorney, and he built his practice without any of the things that we that we take for granted today. He did a little bit of networking, a little bit of speaking, but mostly got good at referrals, at getting referrals. And he wasn't, you know, particularly artful or, or intentional about it. He just treated people right, whether they were clients or professional contacts, and people liked him, and they sent him business. And uh, that kind of grew and grew. And to the best of my knowledge, he never did really get into doing a lot of the things that we do today. One thing that lawyers did in those days, some lawyers did, that is a cakewalk today, and, and yet most lawyers don't do it. I could give you a long list of things that lawyers could and should do but don't do, but we'd probably have to invite a psychiatrist on the line to uh, explain it all for us. But one thing that I kind of hit home on today is the value and the importance of a newsletter. Of course, today, you're probably going to do an email newsletter, and there are ways to do it so that it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't require great writing skills. It's just something that everyone should do. Everybody who's in practice for themselves should have a newsletter. If all you did was use a newsletter to stay in touch with the people that you know and the people that hire you and the prospects who don't hire you and your professional contacts, out of sight, out of mind. And you know, being able to stay in touch with them, even if you, even if they never hire you, even if they never send you a referral, and if it's clients, even if they don't hire you again, you still want to do it because people out there know people and they can, they can send traffic to your website. They can promote your events. They can, if they did hire you, they can provide uh, testimonials uh, and online reviews for you. Uh, you can continue to build a relationship with them. And I think that's what my dad did in an offline world. He built relationships with people and they allowed him to build a lifelong career, to be honest, without a lot of effort. And that's the same thing with a newsletter today, staying in touch with people. And by the way, when I say newsletter, I'm not talking about social media because you don't control that. I'm talking about Use social media if you like it, and you do it, and you want to do it as a supplement. But I don't want—I don't, I don't want to send people to somebody else's store, if you know what I mean. I want them coming to my store. So this has got to be a core element of your website. There should be a sign-up form, and you should encourage everyone to sign up. In fact, if you do this and you get good at it, all of your other marketing efforts, what some people call reaching out methods, are sort of the front end to your back end, the back end being your newsletter. And if that's all you do, well, I shouldn't say all you do. You still got to treat people right and do some of the other things that we need to do. But if all you do as far as your core marketing effort is set up and utilize a newsletter of some kind and stay in touch with people, you almost don't have to do much of anything else. If you have a couple hundred people on your newsletter, yeah, it's a small number, and you can get there pretty quickly. That's enough to get the ball rolling and, you know, start growing that list. Yes, you're going to want to deliver value to them, information to them, ideas to them. But 
one of the, one of the uh, objections that lawyers typically have is, well, the, number one is I don't have the time. And I show them how they can maintain a, an email newsletter, you know, in a half an hour uh, a week, an hour a week, if they're, if they're doing something weekly. The next thing they say is I don't have enough to say. And uh, I, I show them that they actually do because you can only write about the law, depending on your market, you can only write about the law so much. It, it gets boring even if they're interested in, in what, you're, what you can do for them. you got to spice it up, you know, talk about personal things, talk about things that are going on in their industry or their community. Share what you're doing. Share ideas with them. And there's no end to what you can put in a newsletter. I know that because when I started doing a newsletter, I was doing something maybe once a week, and I was encouraged by someone else I, I paid attention to to see if I could do it more frequently. And I started doing it three days a week, and that led to doing it five days a week. The guy that I'm kind of emulating, he does it seven days a week. And I take the weekends off, but I never thought I could do five days a week. Where am I going to get the time? How am I going to have enough to say? But you absolutely can. And part of that is instead of doing a newsletter the way a lot of lawyers do, which is what we think of it and therefore don't do, it's not a – don't make it a magazine. You don't have to do HTML. In fact, I recommend against it. You don't have to include graphics. I don't use them. You don't have to do any kind of fancy layout, plain text, three to 500 words, and that's all you need. And it doesn't take a lot of time to do that. Once you get going, you're going to get inquiries from people, questions. You can use that to write additional newsletters. So what I say to anybody is if you're not doing it now, give it a try. And uh, there's, there's other tricks of the trade to help you to make it easier. There's a lot of help that you can get, but you really don't need it. You just talk. Lawyers are talkers. We can talk endlessly. If you want to know where to start, start with, as far as content, start with the FAQs that people typically ask you. What are the 10 or 15 questions that prospective clients usually ask or new clients usually ask about your practice area, about their, their issues, about their problems, the risks, the various solutions? I guarantee you, you start with that, they won't be able to shut you up because you know this stuff inside and out, and that's a great place to start. Once you get beyond that, there's a lot more things you can do and a lot more uh, places you can get ideas. And I know this because I've now been doing a daily or five days a week email for, I don't know, it's got to be three or four years now, every day. And uh, that's, you know, I, I know you're, you're probably going to ask me what I do to market my business. That's it. That's most of it. I get my newsletter out, and whether you do that once a week, don't do it once a month. That's not often enough. Once a week is about right for most attorneys who are getting started with this. If you can do more, do more. The third reason attorneys give me, you know, oh, if I write that often, you know, people are going to unsubscribe, they're going to complain, they're going to put me into spam. Actually, it works just the opposite. The less often you write, the more likely it is that your subscribers won't remember who you are, don't want to get your stuff, don't want to hear from you again. And those are the ones that cause problems. When you tell them up, up front that you're going to be writing to them frequently, 
They get used to you. They like you. They look forward to hearing from you, assuming you're delivering something valuable. And by value, I mean information or entertainment, light on the entertainment, of course, but flavored with entertainment, I guess. They're going to look forward to it. And what I have had happen is I've had subscribers contact me and tell me that they used to get a lot of email newsletters from other marketing folks. And they don't read them. They read mine. They look forward to mine. One day I was sick or out of town or something, and I, I missed the day, and I had some right to me. Where, where are you? So the goal with it is you want to be the one that they read, the one that they look forward to, the one that they build a relationship with. I'll tell you something else. If you do that, then you can start introducing to your list products and services of other professionals and businesses that you know and work with. In other words, you can promote some other lawyer's practice, some local business, you know, their services. Why do you want to do that? Well, for one thing, you're going to give your subscribers a good deal, somebody they can trust because you recommended them. Your clients are going to, your subscribers are going to appreciate you for doing that. And certainly the professionals that you're talking about and, and endorsing, uh, they're going to appreciate you and do something similar with their list. It's the easiest marketing there is. Promote other people and they'll promote you. And you can extend that through guest posting on blogs and uh, commenting on blogs. But there's nothing better than starting a newsletter, even if you've only got 10 people. Start a newsletter. Start writing regularly. You become a better writer at the same time. You'll write. You'll learn to write quicker. You'll unclench those sphincter muscles that many lawyers have. I remember in the early days writing like a lawyer and um, having to intentionally force myself to kind of open up and write like a, a normal human being talks. And boy, that really made a difference. It's fun now to, to write and to write frequently. And I think you'll find that as well. And that's on top of the remuneration that results as a, res as a result of that effort. So in the old days, you had to print, you know, you had to mail. Uh, it was a big effort and expensive. Now it, nowadays, it's so easy. It's ridiculous that somebody won't do that or even hesitate to do that. I'm telling you, write to people, keep writing to them, whether they're clients, former clients, prospective clients, professional contacts. Or you can, you can do a separate newsletter for your contacts, if you, professionals, if you want. But write to people. Stay in touch with them. I use the expression you might relate to. You want to be in their minds and their mailboxes when they need your services or they know somebody that they can recommend. And how easy it is it by pushing some electrons, pushing, pushing your, some keys on your keyboard and sending some electrons their way you will get people that will unsubscribe. And that's actually a good thing because those are people that were never going to hire you or never going to hire you again. And you don't need them. You need a Seth Godin. Yeah, Seth Godin. I drew a blank. He talks about a tribe and different people define what that means and how big it needs to be for a lawyer, depending on your practice area and the frequency with which your typical client can and will hire you again. In other words, if you do cons consumer bankruptcies, you're going to have a little time to wait. But uh, you don't need a big list. You need an engaged list, people that 
know you, like you and what you send to them and trust you. And you can build your whole practice on that. You can get referrals like you cannot believe that were ever possible. And that was why referrals was the central theme of the marketing course that I did years ago. How I got referrals from clients, how I got them from professional contacts, and why you're you're being silly if you don't focus on that. And yes, I know the reasons why lawyers don't do that either. Again, do, do you have the number of that shrink? But uh, it basically comes down to, to fear. They don't want to talk to clients about referrals. They, they, they think it makes them appear weak, needy, and it doesn't. It does just the opposite. Uh, your clients want to help you. They want to help the, the people that they know. Get somebody that they can trust, like you, somebody that knows what they're doing. And if you're not doing something intentional to stimulate referrals, you're making a big mistake. And you, here's the thing. You don't have to actually utter the words yourself. You don't have to say to a client, oh, by the way, you know, I appreciate referrals. Who do you know? You don't have to. You can. I'll teach you how to do it. But you don't have to. There are other ways to stimulate referrals that don't require the kind of stuff that I think most attorneys don't want to do. And you just have to decide. You have to ask a different question. It's not the question you have to ask is, how can I? Not, you know, can I, should I? It's how can I? And the, the, answers, are, the answers are out there. So referrals, same today as it was back then, only it's easier, cheaper, faster, and better. So those are, those are a, a, few, a couple of things, a few things about what it was like then and what it's like today. I think I did a post at one point about what I would do if I was starting brand new today. What would the first thing I would do? What would I do after that? And I don't remember the details, but it all comes down to the basics, getting good at the basics, doing them consistently, repeatedly, and having fun with it, you know. For me, the marketing became the fun part. The law got kind of old, but the marketing was where the excitement was, new ideas, new techniques, new things I could try, and watching the phone ring as a result of trying them. There's nothing better. The work, eventually I hired people to do the work, and so that I didn't have to. And I could spend my time, as I said earlier, marketing or doing things that ultimately led to the next stage of my my career. All right. So Jimmy is in the airport right now, but that is a wrap on this week's episode. This is the first part of this episode. You'll get part two next week. And trust me, there is a lot to come. Jimmy, got anything to add? No, it was a great guest. And, and it's always good to spend time with you and people that think about lawyer marketing like we do. And so it's a great episode. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.